Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. You may be seated. Beloved, if you have your Bible or a pew Bible in front of you, turn to page 474 in Psalm 51. For my text this morning, for my sermon, will come from David's psalm, Psalm 51. In my third uh, year at seminary, You have to remember I took uh, four years because I'm a little slow and my wife got a job at Sanford also and I decided to stretch things out to four years. Most people finished in three or three and a half. I was the four-year guy that was still there, you know, kind of like, I don't know, being held back a little bit. Everyone else was graduating, they had jobs and stuff and I'm like still in school, that whole thing. But I was there and in my third year, I took a pastoral counseling class and this professor has since uh, retired. But we began that class with a liturgy. And I've told this story, I think, one other time from the pulpit. Some of you, I guess, may remember this. But it began with a liturgy. And and here was a liturgy, and she would speak a sentence. Then we would have to respond with that sentence, and so forth and so on. And here was the sentence. Well, first, she would pray. She would pray. Then she would ask everyone to stand up, and we would, you know, put down our computers trying to study Hebrew in the middle of a pastoral counseling class. We'd put that down. We would never do that. We would stand up, and she would say, I've got problems, and we repeat, I've got problems. She would say, you've got problems. And we point at her, and we'd say, you've got problems. And then she would say, we've all got problems. And we would say, we've all got problems. And then we would sit down and start the class. Now, um, I want to modify that for just a moment for this morning uh, to help. It's going to help with the sermon, actually. So here's uh, what what I want you all to do. If you would stand up for me. Uh, This is a a bit of a man-made liturgy, but it's straight almost from Scripture. I'm going to modify it for a moment uh, to help us us grasp what's going to be coming in both the sermon and the Word of God. So repeat after me. I've got sins. sins. Here it comes. Point at me. You've got sins. sins. We've all got sins. Amen. You may be seated. Now, now that that living and active um, uh, theological reflection has, been, has taken place, we've got a level playing field, don't we? The person sitting next to you is, as our prayer book says, well, at least in 1662, they're a miserable offender just like you, just like your priest. We are not perfect. We have sins, all of us. And that pastoral counseling class was a very good one, but starting with that liturgy helped remind us that when you're counseling someone from a priest to parishioner perspective, you can't lose uh, sight that you yourself are a sinner leading someone else into God's grace. And when you are giving counsel and direction to another brother or sister in the faith, you must not lose this notion that you too are a sinner. Now, we know that we've all fallen short of the grace and the glory, fallen short of the glory of God and are in need of His grace. And from our epistle reading this morning from Romans 5, we know that sin came into the world through one man, and his name was Adam. But he, Paul says, was a type of the one to come. And who was the one to come? Jesus Christ, Jesus the Messiah. 
Through one man, sin entered the world, and when sin enters into anything, and you all, we know this from experience, it brings about not life and, and pleasantness, it brings what about within us? It brings death within us. It brings about not life, but death. Paul says that when sin entered the world through Adam, sin led to death. That is the consequence of sin, death. We know that Adam and Eve were expelled from the garden. We know that all of us, unless we um, are redeemed through the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ as it was shed on the cross, that we will, in fact, not only die the first death, the physical death, but die that second spiritual death. Now, Paul alludes to that first man, or not didn't allude, actually mentions Adam by name. In our Old Testament reading, we saw that Adam and Eve were, were a part of this reading. And I've always, um, I, I've always been fascinated, I guess I would say, with this notion that there was shame connected to the sin of Adam and Eve. There was shame. And, and how do we know that? How do we know that there was shame associated with that? Well, um, before the fall, before Eve took the fruit and then gave it to Adam and he ate on behalf of all of us, unfortunately, they were uh, naked in the garden and they were not ashamed. And after sin enters the world, they're ashamed. And matter of fact, what does the text say that they tried to do? They tried to hide. We're getting to the psalm, I, I promise, because David is going to be a type for us in how to move through the confession of sin. But I want to sit here for a moment and talk about sin and shame for a moment. When you sin, if you feel the shame eventually of that sin, I want to stop and say that that's a good thing. I want to say that that's a very good thing. And I want to say that Paul actually uh, gives us a better word for that in 2 Corinthians 7, 10. Paul uses not shame, but he talks about it being godly grief. That when you sin, there's a godly grief. You're grieving the fact that you have sinned against God and that you're now in need of His repentance and His grace. And that moves you to what? That grief, that godly grief moves you to, in fact, what? Confession of sins and repentance and receiving grace and therefore sanctification. But it's that kind of worldly shame when we sin that leads us, like Adam and Eve, into isolation into hiding. I mean, I, I'm speaking from experience. I've been there. You sin, and usually it's, it's the sins that, um, well, like the sin of David in Psalm 51, a sin where others know about it now. It's the cat's out of the bag. And that shame moves us not to go and grab our Christian brothers and, and sisters, to go and grab our priest or a deacon and, and to confess sin, but it leads us to hide it. And, and I know you have sins that you're hiding. I have sins that I'm hiding. And we want to, in fact, during this Lent, to bring those out into the light. Amen? What does the light of God do to those sins, finally? The light of, the light of God allows us to, by His grace, um, be absolved of those when we get those out into light. Adam and Eve hid in shame from the Lord for they knew that their sin had separated them from their communion with God, for that is what sin does. The Hebrew word for sin means literally to miss the mark that God has placed, like missing a bullseye. And here's the thing, there are different levels of sin. 
But the fact remains that all sin does what? It separates. Sometimes it separates us just a little bit from God. Other times it separates us what we might feel like a mile away from Him. But what do we do when we sin? We confess and we repent and we, ex- we receive the grace of God to move on in life. So, beloved, let us turn now to Psalm 51, where we see David's response to his sin. The two sins of David, we might say, were what? What were the two sins of David? The two big ones. Adultery, yes, and murder. Now, I'm not a legal expert. I maybe need to talk to Daniel Milton or Steph McGuire or Richard or other of our attorneys, Todd Higgy and others. Um, I think this may be kind of manslaughter in a sense, right? He didn't necessarily take the life, but he, oh, Todd's shaking, no, he's, all right. Yeah, so it's worse than manslaughter. Praise the Lord. Okay, well, then I, or I was right on that. I wanted to try to give David a little bit of room to work. He has no room. Murder and adultery. Murder and adultery. These are not, quote-unquote, small sins. These are epic sins, sins that bring about death, not only to the one that commits them, but to so many others. The, the collateral damage is much. And here's what I want to say this morning. David does four things that I want to to ask you to consider to do this Lent. So I want to ask you to do something, four things in particular, from your priest to the people, to my people. David does four things, and here's what they are. He cries out to God to have mercy upon him. Would you, during Lent, cry out to God to have mercy upon you in light of your sin? The second thing is this, David makes a confession of sin. We'll talk about that in a moment. Third, David gives a a few petitions, and petitioning God is literally asking for something from God. He petitions God, we'll talk about that, and then finally, he makes a holy vow to God for what he has done. Cry to God, confession to God, petition to God. And finally, offering a vow to God in the midst of our sin. So you remember uh, King David is approached by um, the prophet who? Do you remember this? The prophet Nathan comes to him and he tells him a story. And you all know the story and David is the man in the story and Nathan says, you were the man. Because remember, David was like, well... Let me, let me get at this guy. Let me find this guy. And, and he needs to repay that, that poor man for his um, little you that, that this king took fourfold. I mean, David is ready to go, and Nathan says, you're the man. And, of course, David receives that, and Psalm 51 is, is written really out of that interaction with Nathan where sin is brought in to the light. But let me say this for a moment that you see sin being brought to the light often, not always, but often requires the no of someone else, whether that's someone that's confronting you over sin or when you have sinned and you bring someone else into it and you say, look, Father Daniel, I've sinned in this way and I need, I need help. I need to receive again and anew God's grace. You're bringing someone else in for light to shine in that darkness. Well, David begins with a cry in Verse 1, Psalm 51, verse 1, have mercy on me. The old translation is have pity on me. 
O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Beloved, let me remind you that in your crying out to God, whether your crying out to God is in the midst of sacramental confession, heard by myself or Father Daniel, or with a fellow uh, uh, brother or sister in Christ or in your prayer closet, your crying out is not based on what you don't know God is like. It's not, Lord, I don't know what you're like, just please forgive me. It's no. God, I know that you have steadfast covenantal love for me. I know that you are a God that is gracious, that will have mercy if I confess. So our confession, our cry, I should say, our cry to God is based in His character. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, the cry goes on from David, and cleanse me from my sin. That word translated as transgression literally means when you know what's right and you do otherwise on purpose. You're like, you know what, I don't want to do this, I'm sick of obeying God, and you're rebellious. The word iniquity is departing from uh, the way that God has, um, ha- has marked out for you, either on purpose or even by accident. And finally, that word sin, cleanse me from my sin, is those times, of course, when we err. So transgression, iniquity, sin, all getting at sin in general that separates us from God. But it, the, the point here, I think, is the transgressions in particular that we commit and we know what's right and we don't care and we do otherwise. Let us cry out to God. Now, moving on to confession. In verses 3 through 6, David confesses. I'm not going to read all of it, but let me read verse 3. If you would follow along. David says, For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. We have a rule in the Novotny house, and many times I create rules based on God's word and my own fallenness. I'm like doing it to protect myself because I'm a sinner, not just for my kids. We have a, a rule in the Novotny household, no whataboutism. You can, um, you can ask a Levi about this, no whataboutism. David says, for I know my transgressions. My sin is ever before me. There's not excuses, there's not, well, it was, if I wouldn't have been in this place and probably I wouldn't have been tempted and I wouldn't have moved into it. David is owning his sins and he's confessing those sins before God. Next is petition. And it's a petition for renewal. Verses 7 through 12 make up David's petition, but I just want to hone in on two verses. Verse 7, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. In verse 10, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Beloved, our petition to God in the midst of a cry and confession ought to be for our own sanctification. Ought to be that the Lord would create in us a holy and clean heart, a right spirit that desires to do the will of God and that actually more and more is able to do it in this life. And then finally, verses 13 through the end, David makes a vow. And I want to sit here for a moment. This was the scripture I began my sermon with. David says, Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. He's making a holy vow unto the Lord. That, Lord, as I've cried, as I've confessed, as you're going to give grace and mercy and wash me thoroughly... I'm going to go to other transgressors, to other sinners, and I'm going to teach them your ways. 
so that sinners might return to you. Let me say, beloved, that in our vow to go and to talk about the liberation and the forgiveness that God has given us, others then are moved to follow us into the confession of sin, into receiving God's grace, for there's a change within us. We want to declare that to others. And it says here, and sinners will return to God. We as Anglicans are very uh, liturgical, and this is a beautiful thing. It's a wonderful thing. I think it's a very godly thing. But the Lord first desires us to have contrite hearts, a broken spirit, coming into this worship, um, this nave to worship, worshiping a holy God, being aware of our sin. The first Sunday of Lent, I mean, we go through the exhortation, we go through the great litany. We're very aware, I think, of our sin this morning, as we ought to be. And it's from that awareness of our sin, then, we move to the table of Holy Communion to receive the grace of God, to receive that which was bought for you and me on the cross of Jesus Christ. For our Lord has redeemed not only our sin, but the ungodly shame that has come from it. And it's out of this redemption that we can declare it to others so that other sinners might return to God. I want to remind you that um, after absolution, after we heard the words of our Lord um, of, of, of absolution, after you confessed your sins, what's that next set of Scripture? What's that next set of Scripture called that we go through? The comfortable words, a reminder that no matter how far you have fallen this last week or even this morning, that the grace of God for those who repent and with a contrite heart is enough, and it removes the, the ungodly shame and allows us then to stand before God as we are in Jesus Christ with confidence that our sins have been forgiven. But beloved, let me finally close with this. I've been thinking a lot about prayer recently. Talked a little bit about this with Father Daniel last week or so at the office. I think that it's through the confession of sin and it's through prayer that, um, that revival within the heart of each human being, each parishioner, breaks out. It's through confession and through prayer. Let me invite you then, this Lent, to do a few things, not as a law, but as a grace to you. The first is that if you're around when we pray the offices here in this nave, 8.30 in the morning on Mondays and Wednesdays, 4 o'clock in the evening on Mondays and Wednesdays, to come and to pray, to come and to pray, to come to intercessory prayer with Wendy Williams on Tuesday mornings at 9 o'clock, 9 30 in the morning to come here in the nave to pray. Let me invite you to schedule a time of sacramental confession with Father Daniel or myself because as the exhortation says, there are some of you, and I know it here because I have been there, that have the burden of sin that only you have known about and for the sake of your conscience, you need to confess that to a priest. We are here to hear that confession, to have your conscience um, relieved the grace of God. And finally, let me ask you to do this this Lent, 
to bring someone else in, a mature brother or sister into your life whom you may open up and confess to so that when that sin is brought into light, healing, forgiveness, and ungodly shame may be wiped away and we may continue on that great road of sanctification. Beloved, let King David in Psalm 51 be our guide for the rest of this Lent so that it may be finally a holy Lent unto the Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.